everybody, and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 102nd episode of the podcast, airing November 21st, 2020. Now, I am pleased to present to you my discussion with Annalisa Six from the Mystic Parlor over in Yucca Valley, uh, a.k.a. Joshua Tree area, who's going to join me uh, in, I think, her like seventh podcast episode with me on a discussion titled Sagittarius Season 2020. That's right. It's here. It's airing the day of this podcast. And so Annalisa and I are going to discuss this year's Sag season, of course, which is chocked full of action, which is very Sagittarius-like if I think about it. So where do we even begin? First off, we have eclipse season underway with a lunar eclipse in Gemini and a solar eclipse in Sagittarius. Mercury and Venus both make tons of moves. Neptune and Chiron station direct, and both Saturn and Jupiter ingress into Aquarius, which is leading us to the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction. And we talk all about it. So This was under a sobering Venus-Saturn square while recording this episode, but we did our best to find the classic enthusiasm that Sagittarius is known for. So we do hope you enjoy the program. Now, a fabulous way to show appreciation for this podcast and my astrological efforts is by making a one-time donation over at Mel's Tip Jar or by booking a personal consultation with yours truly, all of which can be done directly through my site over at energeticprinciples.com. And I also want to remind those uh, that I did make an announcement that I'll be opening enrollment for my 201 Astrology Basics course here that will start in the early part of 2021. Uh, And I'm going to be covering predictive techniques such as working with transits with the natal chart and progressions so we can see how life unfolds uh, through these very key techniques of astrology. So there's more on that to come, but that date should be released very shortly here. So definitely tune in on social media, and the like. All right, so who's ready to hear all about Sag season? Here we go. Now let's meet our guest. All right, I am so pleased to welcome back to the podcast. We have Annalisa Six with us for the, I don't know how many times, it's been some time. You've been on the podcast several times, haven't you? I want to say it's my seventh time or maybe my eighth. (sighs) time. I think seven is right. Lucky number seven. Lucky number seven. (laughs) Um, And we've done all types of podcasts. We've done like forecasts. We've talked about, I remember we talked about, um, didn't we talk about depression once? Oh yeah. We talked about Saturn, I think in relation to depression. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, which is funny because we are both kind of talking right now in the skies. We're in the tail end of Scorpio days and uh, Venus is squaring Saturn right now. And we were talking about kind of depressive tendencies coming up and um, totally forgot about that podcast. Maybe if anybody's feeling that, go back and take a listen. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, so it's so funny because today we're going to talk about Sag season starting and, um, to preface, it's like late at night where I just worked like the whole day through like doing a lot of writing. And so Sag is supposed to be like all enthusiastic and like gung ho in many ways. And I don't know, Annalisa and I are like (laughs) both in a state of what, like, 
the opposite of that. The, the opposite of that. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of funny. We're feel, feeling that Scorpio. So before we get launched into Sag season, because good, goodness me, there is so much to talk about and we'll try to cover as much as we can. And I have to just sum up some like gists of what this might be like, which, you know, it, it's eclipse season. We're almost eclipse season. A lot of a lot of things taking place. Um, so, but before we do that, Annalisa, tell people just real quickly in case they've never heard of you, who you are, where you are, what you're doing. <laughs> right. I am a. Uh, I guess I like to call myself a newbie astrologer and seasoned tarot reader and I own a mystical store in the desert with my business partner Evelyn uh, called the Mystic Parlor. We're located in Yucca Valley which is right by Joshua Tree. We opened that this year during the pandemic so that's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) And you can imagine how that was. Um, I am also a dog walker and I'm obsessed with animals and I am new to the desert. I lived in Oakland, California before this. And um, yeah, I do tarot and astrology readings. Yeah. And well, she's been calling herself a newbie for a little while now. So I think she's like less newbie than she might think she is. But, you know, I always think that the, the, the uh, you know, the mark of a wise person is someone who's willing to say they have so much still to learn. You know what I mean? <laughs> And I definitely do. <laughs> I definitely have a lot more to learn. <laughs> yeah. As do I, as do I. And if I didn't, oh my God, life would be so boring. So, well, you know, and that's a perfect segue into Sag season just in general, because Sag is forever learning, right? Forever yeah. seeking. <laughs> seeking and learning and knowing. <laughs> Yeah. And it's all an experiencing because that's the whole thing with Sagittarius is the only way that you come to knowledge and you come to wisdom is through uh, experience in life. And so it's not, to me, Sagittarius is not as much about book smarts as it is about life smarts um, and just what you encounter through whatever, you know, crazy wild ride you're on. Um, Because we all have Sagittarius somewhere in our charts, you know, and at least as you're rising, right? So, I mean, what can you say as a Sag rising? Like you you should know better than anybody what it's all about. Yeah, I'm definitely a Sag rising to a T in every every kind of like ninth house, Jupiter, Sagittarius thing that you could read about. I've fulfilled at some point in my life, I think. So- (laughs) Um, forever seeker needs to learn things the hard way. Definitely need to experience things. Can't be told what to do. Uh, super know-it-all. I've had to work on that one. And that's been really helpful for me because I now, even though I think that I'll always maybe come off that way or have a tone that way, having it as my rising sign, I'm so much more cognizant and self-aware of it that I try to be really mindful. And that's why I like to preface things as like, I'm, I'm open and I know that I have a lot to learn because I don't want people to think that I think I know everything because Sag is really good at um, disseminating information and um, that's the Sag Gemini polarity, right? So we really love to talk about what we perceive that we know, whether we know it or not, just whatever that experience was that we went through, we feel 
a very strong connection to that experience. And it's really important for us to get to share that experience. And, um, it, the experience of living and walking through things becomes something that we do feel is, you know, added to kind of our chest of wisdom. And we tend to take that persona with us, you know, in life where some people go through the same stuff and maybe they have a different way of embodying it. Maybe they feel more detached to it where I feel like Sag people are very like, I went to this place and I experienced it. <laughs> you know, like it's this, you know, like let me tell you about this thing that I did. And my dad is Sag rising too. So I grew up uh, my mom's Sag Moon in the ninth. My dad is Sag Rising. So I have kind of like this family that loves to do that. And um, it's very uh, good storytellers. Let's say that. Good storytellers. Yeah. 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 Sag does love to tell stories, you know, because it... You know, like, because Gemini at times can be, Gemini likes to talk a lot too, of course, but it can be a little more dry than the flamboyance that Sagittarius can bring to a story. And, you know, you can have like the idea of just experiencing things in general and why you get so excited about it. Like, let me tell you the story behind this is because you really take home uh, a piece of that experience or the, you know, the sparkle from it, or it, it sits so deeply into the character that it just, it comes alive because, you know, with Sagittarius people in general, like, I mean, everybody likes to have stuff in life and, you know, possessions and, and this and that. But, you know, the best possession to Sagittarius is to do something, to experience something, to go somewhere, to like um, invest in uh, experience, basically. Um, so I can see why there's so much value that's held in whatever, um, you know, life throws at you or you choose to, uh, explore on your own, you know? Um, and it's, yeah, it's, I feel like I got some Sag in me, even though, I mean, I only got Neptune there, but I've got a ninth house stuff going on. Um, that I feel like it in Jupiter, I feel like it mitigates a a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So that, well, I mean, that being said, we're going into Sag season, which means that everybody is going to be on the experience train. Um, and boy, what we have experienced just in general this year alone, and just it being a mutable sign, because mutable signs are transitionary spaces. You know, these are the ends of seasons as we, you know, wrap up fall to basically prepare for the solstice of winter. And so there is a transitionary space that comes about when we're in Sag season and why I think it might be very beneficial to um, kind of wrap our story up in many ways or maybe last pieces of puzzles are coming into our story um, or we're looking at, I always like to say the story you tell too because the story you tell to yourself, whether it's the story of this year or the story of your life, um, it really depicts what you encounter in the world too. So there, there's kind of a moving along. There's like a trading of inspiration. I, I don't know. What do you think about the, the end, of, end of seasons just in general and like the transitionary nature of Sagittarius? I love that perspective, thinking of it that way. I think that uh, from that perspective, what it kind of ignites in me is because in our Gregorian system, we look at um, 
Capricorn is the last sign before the new year. It does kind of feel like the way that one of the big things about Sagittarius for me that I really resonate with is the fact that Sag rules kind of like value systems and belief systems when it comes to our deeply ingrained values or like higher self. Like that's the very like Jupiterian, you know, why religion and spirituality is a big part of Sagittarius. It's like, what are my value systems around what it is that I'm doing? And am I living in line with those values? And I feel like at the end of the year, when we're transitioning into winter, we always tend to reflect on who we were you know, like the whole previous year and whether or not we are living in that. And I think that because the winter and especially like now Scorpio season is when a lot of people start to feel seasonal depression or, you know, holidays bring up a lot of triggers for people. Um, it is a time, like we kind of in Scorpio season go through like this needing to merge with the shadow self and kind of do this, you know, kind of darkness of, I don't know, I'm, words are hard for me right now, but we're like going into the depth of ourselves, right? And yeah. it's like the things that maybe we've been kind of avoiding over the summer months or the beginning of fall, then Scorpio comes, we're kind of forced into those depths. And it, that's what kind of makes us more aware of whether or not we're living in harmony within the self. And then by the time we get to Sag season, we're reviewing that and we're kind of saying, what are my values? And then how, what are my goals too? Like there's that eight of wands in the tarot. That's that, you know, setting intentions and going after them, the seven of wands, eight of wands. So I think of those types of energies of like, are we setting ourselves up to be in alignment with the intentions that we want to carry into the next year? And I feel like every time we transition into a season in a mutable sign, we kind of are reflecting on that, you know, with the, and there's always this big into the cardinal sign, you know, the solstice or the equinox, there's some kind of big pivotal energy that helps propel us once in the mutable sign, we've done the review of you know, what those things are. So I think Sagittarius is a really good opportunity, especially after this year to ask ourselves if we're in alignment with, you know, what we feel is our calling, essentially, especially after a year of so much turmoil, you know? Oh, oh yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Because, well, essentially the it's the archer pulling the arrow back, right? And we're pulling the arrow back to like aim at the pivotal switch of Capricorn that has the industrious nature every year and what we consider our like New Year's resolutions and, you know, stuff like that. Um, that is like characteristic of going into Capricorn. Um, but we kind of need to pull back the bow in Sagittarius. Um, and what a pulling back the bow it's going to be after this year. Like if, if I've, and and not only that, like the big part of Sagittarius season this time around too is the fact that we um, are finally going into the first official eclipse season of the Sagittarius Gemini nodal axis. I mean, we had we had a full moon in this axis earlier in June of this year, um, but we still had to play out the Cancer and Capricorn energy that was not quite done yet. And so this is like the first full like eclipse season that is going to really encapsulate the Sagittarius and Gemini energy and much of that mutability we we're just talking about and that adaptability and that shifting energy um, and uh, you know how, transitioning out of things and letting old old 
parts just fall by the wayside to then point our bows and arrows into a different direction. So it seems, I mean, it's always a really important time of year for all the reasons um, that really you just described. Uh, But adding to 2020, it seems like even more so. And like like you said about aligning with the higher self and and the higher ideals that come with Sagittarius. and knowing that this year too, that we almost having high ideals have been a luxury too, because there's just so many like outside circumstances that come that our ideals might not have been met in many ways. Um, and so coming back to that and like re-examining what's true for us in our own ideals, um, but also checking back in with our higher self as to how those might have switched how reality has played into all that um, and what is still feasible to be like solidly optimistic about, if that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 That is very optimistic. Yes. Yes. And we were just talking about that too with depression um, because both of us, as you can tell by our voices, they're a little like... (laughs) We're just talking about the fire signs and um, how, like, the optimism that comes with fire. Because really, any fire sign is going to have enthusiasm and optimism behind it. Um, Sag, maybe more so about many things because it's like entertaining so much. But how, like, you get to this point of, and if you're in like some sort of seasonal depression or go through some depressive periods, which is very easy to do, not just with 2020, but just this time of year, how it can almost be masked in this optimism <laughs> of some sort. We always get really optimistic, I feel like, before, uh, like, we want to find optimism, I feel like, in the new year, the transitional, like, okay, finally, this year's over, we're done with the bullshit yes, it's a new year. We get all excited. And then it's always like, wah, wah. Like we get like a couple weeks into January and everybody's like, oh shit, there's a whole other, you know, set of problems or something. (laughs) But that's why, you know, as an astrologer, we're like, okay, but March, you know, that's the real new year because it's Aries season. We're back in the fire sign. It's hard to fire. The the rebirth of the spring. And, you know, that's where we'll really feel the new year. And I feel that way. I feel like, uh, once I started recognizing March, uh, you know, spring equinox as the new year, despite our spring equinox this year being when everything shut down. Um, but it was the new year, right? <laughs> it was the new year and it did feel very transformative in many ways. And uh, yeah, we don't need to talk about. Yes. Yeah, so we, we know what happened then. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be interesting kind of to see, um, and obviously for some people it's the, I, I know first for me with Sag, um, and I don't know if everybody feels this way, but, uh, I definitely attribute Saturn and Sag to my sobriety because Saturn was in Sagittarius or entered Sagittarius when I went sober. And I, for me, like that was a very reviewing my values and needing, you know, it was in my 12th house in Placidus. So that was a time where I really needed to value, you know, whether or not I was in line with my higher self. And it really got me kind of on the right track for what felt in alignment. And so I, I associate Sagittarius with, if you're somebody that's really resisting that, you're somebody that is fighting the higher self or holding on to the ego and kind of not wanting to get more in alignment with 
what truth you're kind of feeling on a cosmic level, then it becomes a lot darker or it feels a lot worse. Cause Sag also has that uh, Jupiterian problem with excess. Yeah. So like if you're not doing the spiritual calling, then you're going to descend into the shadow side of Sag, which is the overindulgence and the excess in a way that's very unhealthy, which I've also been on that side of things too, or, you know, the winter comes and I'm, I drank more, I did drugs, you know, I was out all the time I spent, I overspent my money, like things like that. I seek, I was looking for more peak experiences, mm -hmm. you know, as a result of uh, resisting looking in the mirror or facing the real things that were going on. So I think that's another, that's the, we could talk about all the optimism that those of us on the path, like the spiritual path feel in terms of knowing what Sag can bring into our lives. But if we're not connected to that, then it can do this other thing where it blows us real far out and we can just kind of spiral out of control with ourselves as yeah. well. I think that's a wonderful point to bring up because that is, you know, every sign has, depending on like the qualities and characteristics and, it's a, and even sometimes when you're on the path, you can get to that point too, like whether it's drugs or alcohol or just like, you know, going past your means in some way, you know, um, we can all get there. So there's anybody can fall into that and anybody can transcend it as well. So it's good to bring that up to know that if you're there and you're like, eating that fifth piece of chocolate cake that maybe <laughs> maybe sad season's got the best of you um no but it's it, yeah and i think the optimism that comes through sag too that we're talking about um that will help propel us in a positive way into the next year i think it also helps us really transition out of the scorpio space because scorpio can be intense for a lot of people um when you're asked to you know dive down deep into things and go through some uh you know that fixed emotional space that um can drudge up a lot of things that we'd rather not look at sometimes um or that are just very challenging of an emotional nature so having that breath of fresh air or fresh fire basically um that can bring resolve to the scorpio season is also i think a blessing of sagittarius um in many ways so all right. Well, that being said, so let's talk about some of the things that are going on. I think it's interesting. Um, so basically, Sag season starts uh, Saturday, uh, I think kind of late in the night. When does it? No, just kidding. Around like noon, <laughs> noon Pacific time um, on Saturday. 12.40 p.m. 12.40 p.m. Yes. So uh, November 21st, Saturday, and this is when this episode is going to air. And it just happens to be the, the day of first quarter, too. So we're actually going in to Sagittarius with an immediate square from that Pisces moon. Um, well, you got, you got the Sag-Pisces combo going on. What do, what do you have to say about Sag-Pisces together, especially maybe like a pushing off energy? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the values and your kind of spiritual aspirations versus your desire for escapism, like balancing those two things. Um, I think that, I think the, one of the things, I mean, I know that we're going to talk about this more probably in depth, but I think that, you know, it's really interesting that we're facing another potential lockdown 
and that we're getting to that space where people are just really over this year and people, you know, it's the holidays. So people also really want to connect with family or they're triggered by family. Maybe some people are really grateful. They don't have to connect with family (laughs) to get out. We're not coming this year, the pandemic, like, yes, finally. But, uh, Sagittarius Pisces though, like that's very like, there's a need for escape a lot of times in mm-hmm. some way. And so I think that it being at zero degrees is really interesting because there might be ways that we have to figure out new ways of relating to that need for wanderlust or escapism. We have to redefine what it means to fulfill those things within the self. And it might not be things that we used to do traditions might have to change the way that we connect to ourselves on a more cosmic level might be something that we need to refine i think i feel that way personally seeing the zero degrees and having this square natally i felt really disconnected from things that usually would bring me joy and i feel like i need to find that again and i think in pisces and sagittarius there's a huge opportunity to find joy in a deep sense not in a superficial mm-hmm. sense And so you're looking for kind of like that deeper fulfillment that is something that you have to, it it has to be something that's from within, like as cheesy as it sounds, it does have to be that. So I think we have an opportunity during this time, the square to set an intention because that's, you know, the way I see the first quarter moon is we're setting an intention for you know something that we need and i think that it's a great time to set intentions for something that you want to align yourself with on a more cosmic way it's not it's not that's the thing about water and fire right it's that temperance card Mm -hmm. in the tarot it's not something that is literal it's like the alchemist energy you know it's like we have to realize we have the power to create the life that we want uh, you know, get on the frequency of things that we know we need for ourselves and kind of digging deep to figure out what that is. So we, I think we have the opportunity with this square to do that. But again, you know, it's whether or not we, we indulge in that or we are triggered by the uh, oppression we feel with certain circumstances and it forces us to be reckless and maybe do things that you know, are kind of more immediate fulfillments. So that's the risk of this energy, I think. Yeah. And we'll feel that basically right away in the weekend as, you know, like Saturday night, Sunday. <laughs> and so just see where you're at with it, you know, as that season starts, you know, like what side am I on? Am I making cosmic alchemy or am I uh, once again eating that fifth piece of cake <laughs> to like get away from it all, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, well, so set the vibe, right? Just set the vibe, be aware of it um, and go from there. And if you're listening to this after the fact, well, we can't help you now, but um, <laughs> just I don't know why you felt the way you did. Yeah, exactly. For escapism out of, I mean, usually what I advise people to do when we're in a frequency that's around escapism is to just figure out a way to not do something that you like don't expect that mundane things are going to be attractive to you and don't ask yourself why do i have this resistance towards the things i know i need to get done right now i usually think if you can plan to just have kind of some spontaneity in your day even if it's just going for a drive you know sagittarius loves road trips and you know any kind of thing that can kind of just get you out of 
you know, the mundane. Um, if you're somebody that is really into transcendental meditation or like Kundalini, you know, that's really good for Pisces and Sag to kind of, you know, leave this realm in the psyche. If you can do it in a healthy way, um, avoid drugs and alcohol because you're going to be more reckless probably. Yeah. <laughs> for some people, that's great. I mean, if you like microdosing mushrooms, it might be a great day for that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gauge your, gauge your level of, uh, of how your that, that goes. Of yourself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't want to be liable for anybody's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on November 21st. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my God. So, all right. Well, it's interesting because basically between that first quarter moon, uh, we basically have what, a little over a week before we're just waxing energy to get to that lunar eclipse in Gemini. And so there's some things that, which is going to happen on uh, Monday, November 30th, like really early in the morning, I believe. Um, But there's things going on as we start off Sag season, uh, we have our pick of Venus doing things, Mercury doing things, and then Neptune stationing direct, which is interesting, especially in the last things that we were just saying. Um, yeah. So, well, let's start with Venus because she's kind of, she's first on my list, girls first on my list, and she's squaring Saturn today. So she's like, I'm a priority. Um, and so Venus right before Sag season starts, basically moves into Scorpio. Um, And, you know, this is a place of her quote unquote detriment. You know, this is Mars territory. So Venus and Scorpio is uh, a little more, um, more intense, a little more bitey, a little more, you know, Martian in nature, which is against her uh, normal Venusian self. Um, And really she's just headed to an opposition with Uranus, which is going to, uh, perfect on November 27th, which is a Friday. So the following Friday. And so, I mean, Venus and Scorpio, especially opposing Uranus thoughts. <laughs> this year, when it comes to people in my life, including myself with relationship dynamics in general have been really interesting. And my dad's getting a divorce right now. Mm. And so a lot of these transits are really like, he's a Leo and Sag rising like me. And so there's just a lot of really interesting things going on with clients that I've had and then watching like my own family member kind of with this. So I'm having a hard time seeing these transits outside of my own personal bubble just to be totally straightforward. But, um, I feel like every time Venus has been in Scorpio, when I've been cognizant of it, it is a really crucial time in relationship dynamics. If something hasn't really been working, this is the time that it kind of, you know, like very Mars-like, it kind of comes to a head and comes out, right? Scorpio is that under the surface type energy. And so when Venus, the planet of relationship and harmony and connection is there kind of having to feel the feelings that she doesn't want to feel right. Mm-hmm. And Libra, it's like, let's just put a blanket on that and make everything feel great and talk about it later, you know, yep. and then 
Scorpio, she's feeling it. She's feeling the Martian frustration of energy, whether it's something positive or negative, right? Because Venus and Scorpio can be a really powerful time for our sexuality and our Kundalini. We could go deep with our own kind of darkness in a really like Kali Hakate divine feminine way that I personally love on a personal level. (laughs) It comes to the friction with other people. Sometimes if there's stuff that's unresolved that needs to surface, I feel like it always comes out. And I remember when Venus went retrograde in Scorpio a couple of years ago, intense that was. So that's kind of scarred in my mind a lot of times, but I think the opposition to Uranus, obviously there's Um, we're in a pandemic, there's health stuff going on and we have relationships affected by that kind of dynamic. And then we have the whole kind of financial crisis going on and Venus, you know, is a lot of times tied to those things. And Uranus and Taurus, obviously her other sign that she rules. So yeah, I think that there's so many there's so many different ways we could look at this opposition right now. (laughs) It's all happening. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. And maybe the only thing that we can really get out of it is, uh, the, the depths that she's going to go to within it. Because like you were saying with, um, the relationship component. Like, I love that. Like, you know, throw a blanket on it. Let's get cozy in Libra. We'll like, we'll, we'll stay surface. And once Venus gets into Scorpio, there's nothing surface about it. It's, it, it descends. Um, and we've already got a taste of that with Mercury just being in Scorpio. And of course the sun being there as well, but Mercury had made that opposition and kind of danced back and forth. Um, with Uranus and just finally made that last pass only a few days ago of us recording this. Um, So it's almost like she's kind of following suit to where Mercury was. So maybe there were already kind of talks on the table about some of the things that are going to come up for us now to um, fully integrate from the Venusian standpoint of maybe, uh, you know, just connecting with people on what's been said, opening up to something in some way, because Venus wants us to uh, open, you know, she is our, just our connecting, you know, energy. And and, and, and at the end of the day in water, we do want to connect because that's what water does is it wants to merge. It wants so deeply to merge. It's just, it's like, who can I put my droplets with? You know, like that is just what it is. But then there's the Mars component behind it and why maybe if things were rocky, um, conflict is going to come up. And when conflict comes up, maybe it can be transcended. It can heal. It can transform by going through that. Um, or it can be cut away uh, to then remove it and and move on um, and heal in that way. So it can really go either way. Like, you know, you're talking about your dad getting a divorce right now and maybe the conflict gets to a head and, you know, it, it is about separating ways. Um, but there always seems to be some sort of healing component or deep emotional experience that can come out from it when, um, you know, truths are revealed, maybe secrets come out around relationships or, and it could be a secret where like, oh, we've been holding that back. Or like, it could be a secret to you 
that you didn't even know you felt this way until you were presented with the connecting experience to have that come out. And that could actually be part of Venus opposing Uranus because when Uranus comes into the picture, there is an unexpected component because it's trying to liberate and free up some energy that might be stuck. But it's nice to know that Venus, even though she's in a challenging position, she really has dominion over Uranus to begin with. So um, I feel like Uranus is working with Venus. He, he, well, it's trying to help Venus, like, you know, kind of volcano out whatever needs to happen (laughs) in order to move on. I feel you. I agree. Yeah. So mark that date. Uh, November 27th, give or take, around that time. Too. I always feel like there's really intense transits during familial holidays. <laughs> uh, you know, I feel you. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, and well, it's interesting because actually, well, the moon will be conjunct Mars on Wednesday, a few day, like a few days before, um, which is interesting just because Venus is looking to Mars. So something can kick up then, but really the moon is going to trigger that on basically on November 27th, when the aspect happens, the moon is in Taurus at the same time too. Um, you know, uh, like midday here, Pacific time, little late, late morning. And so I always find that very interesting when the cosmic timing is just so right that not only does the aspect perfect between the planets, um, you know, like the slower mover planets, but then the moon comes around just as it's aspecting to then like be like, I'm kicking it up a notch. Um, but, you know, the moon is, you know, exalted in Taurus. Um, it's going to show Venus another side. And so maybe through this eruption, there's going to be some sort of stabilization that can come out of it um, that can be positive when it's all said and done. You know, at least like get to a point where it's not so, the situation's not so chaotic anymore because an agreement's been reached or some ground level has been, you know, it still had conflict involved in it, but you know what I mean? I do, yeah. I liked what you had brought up about... um Mercury kind of already dancing there and then Venus coming through because they have been kind of doing a dance like that a little bit or Venus has been trailing behind kind of cleaning up some of the you know it's kind of like it's kind of the way Chiron has been cleaning up after Uranus and Aries right it's like chase there's that little you know if I just imagine like a little broom coming through to kind of clean (laughs) the trail of unresolved you know stuff going on So, yeah, I totally feel that with this. Like, it's the last, you know, maybe piece of the puzzle before we can fully move on into the next realm of whatever it is we're supposed to be manifesting in our lives when it comes to our relationships and, you know, kind of how we're expressing that in, I don't know. Yeah. An empowered way, I guess. Well, because she is the the diplomatic force too. And so if anything is going to like smooth things over, even if Venus and Scorpio, even if Scorpio is not that smooth, you know, like um, at least she's kind of the sweet piece or trying to get there, you know, because we always have to keep in mind that no matter what sign she's in or who she's deferring to, her main goal is to find some peace. Um, 
And sometimes we have to get there through more challenging situations, but the end goal is still remains the same. Um, and speaking of Mercury, you know, so Mercury's uh, still in Scorpio itself, um, which is keeping our mind in these places too. You know, our mind is very emotional, is looking at Mars territory. Um, it's willing to, you know, talk about the unsavory um, and what needs to be discussed, no matter how uncomfortable it might be, you know, like these. It, so Mercury's still on the same page. Um, and right after Sag season starts, it basically trines Neptune, which I think on November 23rd, which is, uh, you know, this coming Monday. So I think if, so if you feel like it's another Mercury retrograde for a hot second and you're out like daydreaming and, you know, like your head's in the clouds um, or you're microdosing mushrooms, <laughs> you know, the, it's, you know, probably Mercury trining Neptune. Um, but, you know, dare to dream early part of Sag. I think that's a, it's a nice thing to get your head in there. But what I find very interesting is that Mercury then goes to move on to basically sextile, um, Pluto, Jupiter and Saturn. And that's going to happen all around the same time that Venus is making that opposition to Uranus. Um, so, you know, Mercury is ready to discuss like in, in a positive way, maybe some deeper stuff, right? Yeah, I'd hope so. I mean, something's going to come out of it either way. It sounds like it's hard with Mercury and Scorpio, like to me to always think it's nice. Like, I guess I associate positive with being nice, which isn't necessarily the case. Like it could be positive in terms of the results, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's nice or the way that it happens is smooth. I feel like with, I just feel like Smart. anybody that communicates in a Martian way, it's just always very aggressive feeling as a Pisces moon. Like it just feels very like I'm getting stabbed every time. <laughs> that's something I guess I have to work on personally, <laughs> but that's how the Mercury and Scorpio feels. Uh, I think in terms of like harsh words or the way that things could kind of come out emotionally reactive. I kind of think of the Knight of cups a little bit mm-hmm. with that energy. It's just kind of, you know, intense, emotionally intense, but I think that the grounded energy of Capricorn can keep it still really pragmatic and practical, which is good. So I hope that that helps neutralize it in some way. Um, yeah. Well, cause sometimes, you know, like sometimes Sometimes conversations can be um, not as nice as we'd like to say. Maybe not nice in, in a Libra sense or Pisces sense, or you know, kind of sugarcoat it a little bit. But what it does end up doing is being productive, and so I think that that might be part of what Mercury's agenda is: is that you know, you know, this could be a little reactionary. This could be a little aggressive. This could be assertive. It doesn't have to be aggressive. It could just be assertive to have to make a case or state something or put your emotions on the table in some way. But at the end of the day, it's going to be productive um, with moving, you know, your life forward with the Jupiter component, um, you know, being willing to go deep with the Plutonian element um, and then the decisive element of Saturn up in the mix too. And really by this time, Mercury is conjunct that new moon point that we just went through. So it's almost like Mercury is highlighting 
almost what this lunar cycle is, you know, trying to dole out as far as like, you know, the (laughs) informing us of what it's supposed to be uh, about or the next leg of what that is. So that means our president will uh, realize his very uh, real circumstances. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's interesting though, because at that time, that's when Mercury is going to be trying his Venus and Saturn in in Cancer. Um, Reality is going to hit and he's going to have to accept reality versus his feelings about anything. <laughs> well, hey, well, okay. So let's talk about that too, because at that same time, Neptune is stationing direct on November 28th. Um, so basically we're talking about this, this weekend type of period from Friday the 27th through leading up to the lunar eclipse that's happening on the 30th. So all this action is taking place as we're waxing towards the eclipse. So Neptune stationing direct. Um, I, mm, uh, I'm out, mm. I like what you said about accepting reality, you know, because I think that might be part of it or we might get a dose of like ideal situations, you know, kind of turning a corner or like, the fantasies we tell ourselves in some way. I don't know. What do you think about old Neptune stationing and just getting concentrated? Yeah, I don't know. I honestly, well, I was looking at how it's squaring the nodes. And yes. I think that's interesting throughout yeah. all of this. Because obviously there's, you know, Gemini, Sagittarius, there's a lot of controversy in those signs around what we perceive to be true and what's real. And there's so much of a, um, we're so split as a country right now when it comes to what we think is right. And that's also kind of that value system, um, Gemini Sag highlight. So the Neptune square there is really interesting to me because it's like, how are we supposed to even know what's real at this point when our media is so divisive and the algorithms on the internet are so divisive and, the media is kind of finally starting to take responsibility. It seems like in some way for some of their role by maybe being a little bit more upfront about that. It seems like through what's happened, but I think that it's, it's like very Neptunian. It's very confusing to know like what is happening, what's really happening right now. And so I feel like I hope Neptune direct means that we're starting to, um, get kind of sick of our own bullshit in that way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But things kind of start being sorted, you know, with that a little bit, maybe there's more things that come to light, hopefully as we're moving away from the retrograde kind of period. Um, it's interesting that I don't want to get too far ahead in the next year at all because we're not talking about that, but it is interesting. Like we have just this short little window of time before we enter retrograde season again next year. Like it's like that first little beginning part of the year is like the direct. Everything's direct. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, we've got this little window to just like make all this shit happen, hopefully in a way that gets us on track in some other way. So I, I don't know. I I don't know. I just feel like it's a hard time to decipher reality when it comes to information and knowing what is right right now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's going to be um, a big part of these coming months as Neptune, now stationing direct, is going to move 
ever so slowly towards the nodes and the nodes are going to retrograde back ever so slowly to meet Neptune. Um, and I think that I want to say that perfects maybe in January. Um, Oh, that's funny. I, I must have looked at this last because it's in my search engine oh. here, um, apparently. Let's see. Searching, searching, searching. January 26th um, is the exact... Uh, yeah, so it's almost like with this... Because any planet that is coming out of retrograde is in a state of emergence, you know, because the retrograde is sending us down into something but once it, it stations direct, it's emerging in some way. Um, and so, like you said, like, I like the <laughs> sick of our own bullshit. And that could be in your own life and that could be on a world level, you know, because we all have some and everywhere, you know. <laughs> so we, no one is immune to it. Um, and so I think that maybe some things that were confusing may start to gain some sort of clarity only because we have, you know, Mercury making some kind of sobering um, aspects to, uh, you know, Pluto, Jupiter, and Saturn. You know, Mercury in-depth investigative reports in Scorpio and then Capricorn, you know, Capricorn is... <laughs> and, and the fact that Neptune is looking to Jupiter, at least by you know, traditional rulership and that's in Capricorn too. So there is a little more practical lens upon it. Um, but it might be extra dreamy when Mercury trines Neptune basically on right at the get-go and on the 23rd. So that might be when you've experienced Neptune stationing almost the most, um, I think. But this is going to be a big theme going forward uh, through January and through the, you know, the first how many months of 2021 because the nodes only move so fast and we're already feeling this now and any planet that is at the bending or the you know the the halfway point between the nodes basically that 90 degree angle it's it's very pivotal to what is unfolding especially that eclipse season is all tied up into it too so eclipse season is going to have a neptunian component just because of where neptune is right now and neptune can obscure the details and the facts and the 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 knowing of like Sagittarius, but it can also tap us into the more mystical realms, especially as it's emerging. You know, it's not going back into something; it's coming out. Um, and I was just talking about to this with Stormy Grace in the last episode on moon cycles, how she always found that when she made big dynamic changes in her life, it was actually Neptune that was the one that seemed to be the guiding light to everything. So there is a spiritual quality on the high side of things that may come out of this to tap into everything you were just saying earlier, Annalisa, about the, the higher self that Sagittarius can bring forward. Um, and those, you know, that Pisces, you know, cosmic understanding, like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that when we're, when we have, when we're grounded, essentially, when we're well-rounded and we're grounded, I think Neptune can definitely be a really powerful guide in terms of our uh, kind of like intuitive, you know, it's the intuition in a lot of ways, our intuitive connection to self. And I think that we just don't, as a species, really 
honor that in a very like in terms of like our group consciousness or group thing, which is also very Neptunian. Like we're so disconnected and disassociated in a Neptunian way. We're not actually embodying Neptune a lot of times in a way that's healthy. Um, So I think that's the part that's hard for us as a nation is like, we don't have, or as the species, I feel like we don't have a very well, well-rounded view or perception of reality because everything is either linear or crazy. It's like this, it's all, it's all black and white. Like there's no, like we don't look at the whole encompassing kind of thing, which is what Neptune's doing. You know, it's the whole encompassing, everything is one. We're all connected. You know, we learn that in that Piscean energy and we don't respect each other that way. We don't treat each other that way. As you're over there, I'm over here. We need, you know, we need Neptune to unify us because that's what Neptune can do. But if, as long as we're living in the illusion part of Neptune, we're never going to be in the all part, the love part of Neptune. So is the higher octave of Venus there, but we're not. We're too busy in the dichotomy of it all. Yeah. Well said. Yes. So true, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so we'll we'll see how this whole plays out over the couple of months because it's not even just, you know, Neptune stationing direct. There's a bigger story at play within this. Um, so but that really leads us to our lunar eclipse our North Node lunar eclipse too. So this is, you know, this is a lunar eclipse, eight degrees, 38 minutes of Gemini, November 30th. Um, and so it really is the first eclipse that is, um, that is highlighting the, the North Node rather than the South Node because the last, the one we had earlier in Ju- uh, June, the lunar eclipse was basically... Uh, like a south node eclipse and it was a wide eclipse too you know it was like something like 15 degrees off or something um so this one's a little bit closer um and yeah when we're talking about all information coming out uh it, it well it's interesting because gemini obviously we're going to hear a lot of chatter we're going to hear a lot of like this and that about information coming whether it's in our own lives or it's on the television and the media and and you know stuff's coming through we got mercury sextiling saturn the same day as the eclipse so we got the eclipse ruler basically um you know talking turkey with saturn uh which it's interesting to me just it being a completely saturnian year just in general and so coming to this eclipse point, which a full moon is always some sort of, um, can be a a point of wrap up or celebration or something coming to a head, obviously. But with an eclipse, it's like how much stronger um, than that. And so I'm really curious. I don't know what to expect. I mean, personally for me, it's happening on my natal Mars and I'm in a Mars perfection year. And Mars, the day of the eclipse is in a grand cross with my Pluto sun and moon. So I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't even want to think about this eclipse because personally, I'm just like waiting for it to happen. (laughs) Yeah, that's intense. And then near Cancer, Capricorn. So I'm sure the last eclipse season was already a lot. Yeah. (laughs) You're not getting any breaks. No breaks. No breaks. That's super intense. So um, yeah. So anything I would say about it is so partial to my (laughs) my own experience. me where it's like when I'm under the transit so heavily I have such a hard time like 
separating myself enough to see like, how would this influence anybody else right now? Or if I've done a lot of similar readings for people, I kind of have like more of a, this one kind of view of it. But I think that's kind of the point of talking about all these things is that there's like this collective feeling that we're all under and then we kind of are experiencing it in that microcosmic way right that we're yeah. you know that's the experiential part and I think that to generalize it I wrote down values and perceptions are up for review what do we believe in and are we in alignment with beliefs or what outdated mode is um, we're ready to say goodbye to and what are the facts, which are the things that, you know, we've already talked about and just the way that this polarity works already. But when we have an eclipse, it's, you know, there, it is make or break time, right? It's the yeah. full moon. We feel like we need to release some things, but then with an eclipse, it's like, we're definitely breaking up with something that needs to kind of be shifted into a completely new territory. And with Gemini, you know, our perceptions and how we've learned things in the past is changing. And the education system is completely changing right now. So that is a huge one. And what's interesting about this eclipse, looking at the chart for at least where I'm located in the world, um, the moon is in the ninth house and Gemini and the sun is in the third house and Sagittarius, which are the education houses, the information houses. And so Um, obviously like, you know, the way that we communicate, the way that we learn, it's all moved to digital and Saturn's about to be in Aquarius with Jupiter. And so there's so much about technology and the way that we share information. And then even like, not even just the fact that the education systems are moving and changing how it's done, but then it's also, you know, there's so much questioning of what it is we're teaching people in the education system. And, you know, our history as a nation has been on the chopping block for a while in terms of like who we, you know, glamorize as, you know, people that now we see as, you know, these white colonizing abusive patriarchal men that their statues need to come down you know it's like we're having this whole you know what's the real history and what's the real you know story and who are the people that you know got drowned out and not listened to and then it makes everybody you have the the capricornian old way that's the tradition of like don't take away our perception of the old way and then you know the aquarian entering the picture of but this is you know progress and this is what we need to move forward and so it definitely feels like this eclipse is the beginning uh mm-hmm. of kind of a whole nother wave of that kind of new whatever that is new education new history you know new perception of the past even with all of those factors right the capricorn mercury uh, yeah energy yeah definitely because we we have to keep in mind with eclipses is that even though it has this full moon kind of wrapping up coming to completion you know like reaching ahead in some way it's a little different with eclipses because the energy can play out over several months rather than just kind of like an acute period of November 30th. You know, we're going to feel it November 30th. And maybe there'll be kind of like a catalytic kind of energy that comes with it. Um, but it really will, you know, play out over the coming months. 
Um, especially, usually eclipses are activated when Mars comes to the point of the eclipse. Um, and it's interesting because Mars will actually be, I'm like just turning, I'm turning the wheel right now. Um, but Mars will reach that eclipse point uh, in the middle of March of 2021. So we can kind of look at like a trajectory of when, of, of this eclipse continuing to play out until that time period. And so what's fascinating about mid-March, what happens in mid-March is spring, right? We were just talking about trying to wait until the, the, the new year. Um, and so there's something actually about Aries season kicking off in the vernal equinox or you know, in general, that is going to have Mars in this very specific part. So, so what you're saying basically is this is a continuing story, and we know yeah. that the storyline is Gemini and Sagittarius. I think it absolutely, it absolutely is in many ways. Um, and just knowing the U.S.'s chart because our descendant um, is right. Uh, is eight degrees. So it's going to be pivotal for the U.S. just in general because the um, Sibley chart of, you know, the chart of the U.S. that is most commonly used by astrologers has an eight degree Sag rising and an eight degree Gemini descendant. So this, this full moon eclipse is lighting up, you know, pivotal key points of the United States chart. Um, and the first house just in general is, is the people. So there could definitely be more of that, you know, the people's word coming to the surface um, to be, to look at more of like what, I like what you said, like what are the stories that we're telling? What are these rehashed things that we've been teaching and the way the whole education system's churning and and changing. Um, And the, you know, we're under another lockdown, essentially, at least in here in California, you know, we are in purple mode. So technically it is a lockdown again um, and people can't go to schools and yeah. So uh, it's exhausting just to think about. I mean, it could be just because it's late at night right now. We're talking about it. I'm like, oh, man. Well, there's the other side of that too with uh, the kind of like, I just personally think a lot of our industry, like the spiritual industry right now, like witchcraft and astrology and uh, tarot and all that, like there's just going to be more charlatans and uh, things kind of um, exposed, I guess, to over this next year. Yeah. Um, I feel like, Oh, Stormy and I were talking about that on her podcast. Uh, yeah, because I did a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction episode on her eat and greet on YouTube. Uh, and she was like, what's the future of astrology as we go into these Aquarian movements that are basically kicking off with Sag season? And that was what I brought up is like the, the discernment that was going to be needed because the more people that are open to this and the more people that are getting into it, uh, and the easier access there is to be a part of it, then we're going to need that discernment that comes along with um, knowing how to weed out what's, you know, <sighs> I feel like we're back to the truth. What's the truth? What's you know, the who, yeah. who, what's the facts? What's, who, who has the truth of things? Um, but I'd say overall, like one of the things that Gemini does have challenges with, um, having a key Gemini placement in my own chart, and I've had to work through this, is um, listening. So I would say at this 
lunar eclipse. And, you know, any type of full moon, this is an opposition. When you're talking about oppositions, you're, you're dealing with something outside of yourself. You know, this is something that is being presented to you and it's likely it could be another person that's part of it. It's just listen, you know, do yourself a favor. If you really want to understand, if you want to get to the Sagittarius side of things, you have to listen. And so that would be my advice for this, this lunar eclipse is like, you don't hear just what you want to hear, especially with the square to Neptune, because that might be deceiving Mm. in in the end. Um, So do your best to listen, to get the full understanding of the Sag sun and what it has to offer. Um, and maybe, you know, the spiritual component that can come out of it. Um, but it won't happen if your ears are closed, basically. (laughs) So, well, all right. So we made it through the eclipse. I feel like that weights off my shoulders. Um, and, (laughs) and then we have Mercury moving into Sag like the next day. And so I feel, so that's interesting too, to think about the eclipse basically has Mercury on the last degrees of Scorpio, which we know like anoretic degrees can be very testing when it's like sitting at the edge of the last, you know, (laughs) seems extra Scorpionic. Um, Yeah. But okay, so Mercury, you know, are that thought faculty, the communications are going to get, it's going into that optimistic zone we're talking about. It's also going into an opinionated or, you know, like we were saying, like, but I know, no, I know that, yeah. <laughs> soapbox too, like, let me get on my soapbox. I mean, that happens a lot of times. I know it happens to me when I finally get to a breaking point with something and I feel like I'm like, okay, like I trust myself or I, I feel like I know myself or I know what I like, I know what I don't like, or I know what my values are. I do get a little bit on a soapbox about it. So I think it would make sense, especially with kind of where we're at right now as a culture in our history. Um, we've been on a soapbox all year. And, you know, the pandemic is not going away. And a lot of people are really frustrated with the people that aren't you know, our government or people that are not, you know, figuring this out. And so, you know, I think, I just think we're headed towards a whole new wave of protesting and kind of, you know, frustrations and trying to figure out what that stuff is. And I could see, uh, you know, eclipses are breaking point, you know, and like you said, they last for a while, like their effects last for a while. And it's a, it's a shift, a cosmic shift in our consciousness of what we all feel like needs to happen. So I definitely think that we're going to be in a state of really just, if we've been holding things in right this year, it's just, we're done. We're over it. We're just like, no, no more. (laughs) Here's what I think about this. Here's what I want. Here's what I believe after watching this for the last year, you know? Yeah. Well, I think about Mercury and Sagittarius. I think of the freedom of thought, you know, like just really letting it out there. And when we had like the protest, the whole protest started under the Gemini, uh, Sagittarius, you know, eclipse. And so we are back at this energy again, Um, And as we stated earlier in the podcast about it being mutable energy and moving things along, like part of a lot of the protests um, 
are just about that is like trying to move the situation along. It's like trying to to have change, trying to be heard that change happens and what's right and what's, you know, good and what the truth is. And um, if that is, you know, parading out in the streets and getting the message heard, like I can absolutely see this coming up again. Um, especially as we're about to have you know, Saturn move back into, and Jupiter both move back into Aquarius and not by the end of this season. And so I, you know, I, I definitely think that there's a good chance that, that this, that energy is going to rile back up again, especially if we are under the constraints that so many people are already sick of. Um, and it's not a judgment on the constraints or what's right that we should be doing in this moment with this given situation. It's just understanding the nature of people, um, and the nature of especially Sagittarius energy and Aquarius energy to have that freedom to do, you know, not what they want in the Aries way. Although keep in mind, Mars is still in Aries. We're not even talking about Mars because Mars isn't making like any, too many exact aspects. Um, actually I feel like Mars is not making, oh, the only thing that's going to happen is the sun uh, is going to try and Mars and then Mercury is going to do so too. So Mars doesn't get a whole lot of action until the sun gets there, yeah. uh, which is interesting. So we should pay attention, you know, mid, um, actually that's around the time of the solar eclipse. So, well, okay. So let us move on because there's so much to this season that we're just trying to hit some of these bullet points. Um, so basically what's going to happen is after, it's kind of chill uh, aspect-wise in between the lunar eclipse on the 30th to get to last quarter in Virgo on the 7th of December. There's not a, it's, it, it's almost like it's going to hit that apex of the eclipse and then I think we're going to have time to sit with it <laughs> for a second of like everything that's happened or like take a breather to some extent. Um, but then what happens is Venus goes on to replicate Mercury's moves. So Venus, you know, still in Scorpio, is going to try Neptune, um, which could be sweet. December 5th, you know, like we're going to be in another dreamy state. We may not feel like doing much. I know that's a Saturday, um, I, which is funny because I know that someone was going to have a memorial that day. And then it, because of this, no, this new lockdown, it had to be moved to January. That seems Venus oh, wow. trying Neptune. <laughs> yeah. Didn't pan out. Um, and so, yeah, it'll be kind of a dreamy time about December 5th. Um, and lovey-dovey, if we, you know, if Venus, maybe Venus had her issues with op- opposing Uranus, but she gets to try Neptune and she's like, all right, well. I want to be so. yeah. Feeling creative. Yeah. It's a good creative energy. Creative, very creative, compassionate. You can feel another person's plight. You know, you maybe smooth things over. Maybe put that blanket on one more time. Um <laughs> just one more time. Um until she has her her talks her talks when she sextiles Pluto, Jupiter, and Saturn. So once again, okay. it, and that will be um That'll be basically leading up to the solar eclipse in Sagittarius, which is December 14th, which is the following Saturday. So, well, no, just kidding. I'm in November. I'm about the wrong thing. That's a Monday. Monday. December 14th, yeah. Yeah, Monday. Yeah, our eclipses are happening on Mondays, it seems. Monday, I feel like Garfield. <laughs> Hating Mondays. Yeah. You know, um, 
this is kind of random because I've never actually done this before, but you know, I do numerology. I know you're into numerology too. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever look at day numerology outside of just like a birthday or, you know, the year ahead or whatever. Yeah. But I just, out of curiosity, wanted to see what the numerology was of the days for these eclipses. Oh. I just thought that was kind of fun, right? Uh, for the lunar eclipse, it's a nine. Mm. Which is interesting, right? Because nines are the ending. Ending, the yeah. Finality. And then for the new, the solar eclipse on the 14th, we're in a three. Hmm which is also very interesting to me. Well, and three is uh, a lot of times associated as Jupiter's number. Yeah. And having uh, Sagittarius being Sagittarius eclipse, you know, Jupiter, Jupiter energy, right? As um, basically isn't... uh, So around that time, Venus is going to be sextiling Jupiter. Yeah. too. Um, cool. yeah, cool. I like that. I like that aspect about the solar eclipse is, yeah. you know, we do have that kind of sweet connective energy and, and three is a number of creation essentially, you know, it is like a, a void of a, a womb, you know, the father, the son, and the Holy ghost is like, everything's coming together to, um, it can be a little chaotic in the sense because all creation has a chaos element to it. Uh, but it seems really promising. And when I think about like the lunar eclipse in Gemini that happens first, um, I know just for myself, I've gotten like some like kind of like psychic downloads of, um, cause you know, Mars, I'm a day baby. So Mars is one of my worst, most difficult planets. I don't want to say worst, you know, we need them all, but, um, and it can really mess with me mentally a lot of the times. And what I was getting is that there was going to be some sort of wrap up of some mental struggles that I'll be able to transcend, which seems very nine as well too. Yeah. You know, you can just let, you can just make peace with it. You can let it go. You can surrender it. Um, and, and just move on, uh, but move on with wisdom from it too, because nine is a very wise number because it's, it's been there. It's seen it all, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. So, all right. Okay. So let's just paint the picture of this solar eclipse energy that's happening because, well, a couple things. So the lead up to the solar eclipse, we have the sun squaring Neptune. Mm-hmm. It's Neptune we keep talking about. On uh, So basically the sun squares Neptune and trines Mars at the same time, Yeah, which seems so counter. <laughs> you got this interesting. It is. It's like you got dreamy Neptune and Pisces, but then you got raring and ready to go Mars and Aries that has just now been, you know, out of a retrograde face face and is gaining steam. So December 9th and 10th, um, which is uh, a Wednesday and a Thursday. Mercury yeah. and Jupiter days. Mercury and Jupiter days. So you know, like it's, it's so weird. It's like, I don't know. It might be very beneficial to go back to even what you were saying earlier about tapping into that higher self and that awareness, um, uh, that can come out of Sagittarius and Pisces energy together, because maybe it's square, it's squaring Neptune. We have to sort through we have to sort through the fog, sort through the dreaminess, but maybe there can be something that's activated at that time that gives us like just the spiritual breadcrumb needed 
that is then can then be put into motion with the trying to Mars. Um, and maybe not right away because this is, you know, the end of a lunar cycle. It's not really waxing energy. You know, I wouldn't say it's go time right away. And that could be the trap you fall into. You square Neptune and you're like, it's time and trying Mars and you're off to the races. But it's no, it's more like, no, we're giving you a clue for something to slowly work through and to energize you just through motivation <laughs> rather yeah. than immediacy, maybe. Yeah. And then Mercury basically follows the sun to get right. to that point, um, December 13th and 14th at the time of the solar eclipse. So we're, we get the awareness, we get the hit, the illumination with the sun, and then Mercury comes around to really like fully understand it, communicate it, get it in motion. Yeah. I want to talk about some asteroids too. Yeah, get in there. So if we include Vesta in this day, Vesta's at 17 degrees uh, Virgo, and that makes a grand square happening with the nodes and Neptune and Vesta. So the eclipse is, you know, kind of in Mercury is kind of in that mix. Uh, so we have like a mutable square happening, which is really powerful. I think when it comes to, you know, we started out talking about the mutable energy being kind of like a transitional time mm-hmm. and then a solar eclipse, new moon energy, you know, there's something new starting and there's some kind of transition um, in our, you know, in our awareness of self and Vesta and Virgo, you know, that's, she's a ruler of Virgo. So that's, you know, there's a sense of being able to kind of see in the material, what the plan is. I think of all the seven cards in the tarot for this square. I think of the seven of pentacles, the seven of wands, the seven of cups, and the seven of swords, right? So we have seven mm-hmm. of swords as the south node, seven of wands is the north node, seven of cups is Neptune, and the seven of pentacles is Vesta. And then the new moon in uh, Sagittarius is kind of like the eight of wands for the aspiration, you know, of the self. So we have this like, what's the plan? What's the strategy that we have for? this intention or this energy that we're trying to move forward and then you know what what is birthing right now and i love that you said with the mars trying that we might feel all this momentum but it might not necessarily be the time that the actual thing happens Happens, at the right time but when we were first just talking about neptune's involvement i just with the mars i was just thinking a lot of how um, this is a really good energy when it comes to being able to hold the vision of mm-hmm. the dream for what we want to aspire to. And Vesta uh, adds in, you know, especially with uh, Pluto's at the same degree as the new moon. It's a semi-sex style. It's not, you know, a major aspect, but it's the same degree. So that Earth energy that we have too between Venus and Juno, Venus and Juno are conjunct, making that sex style to sex. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. So all of the, that combination of things kind of grounds that dream a little bit. So I think that we are, what kind of was maybe foggy in a very Neptunian way, Vesta and Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto kind of help to maybe see more of the tangible 
part of that dream or that vision. So hopefully, you know, it's kind of that thing too. Like you and I had a whole podcast where we talked about Uranus and Taurus being the new normal. Yeah. You know, what is the new normal? And then here we're living in the chaos of <laughs> yeah. what no is the new normal. But we've all had to figure out some kind of normal in the chaos, right? And it seems like this eclipse, this solar eclipse is an opportunity for us to really create some kind of strategy and vision around how to go into 2021 with maybe a better game plan for, you know, there's a lot of us that took risks this year, I think. I I know for me, and, you know, I've I'm pretty lucky. I'm pretty Jupiterian. So I, I usually take risks and things, you know, kind of happen the way that I want them to. And not saying that didn't necessarily happen, but there's a lot of things that happened that I didn't plan for, obviously. Like I think most of us in a pandemic, like how do you plan for a pandemic? So I think we'll be kind of the new depression era of people where, you know, we have certain things on just our savings, the way we deal with our money is we're going to be very different after this. And the way we take risks might be very different. The amount of backup toilet paper we have <laughs> a little bit extreme to future generations, but we'll be like, you didn't live through 2020. You don't know. You know. You so, don't know. That's funny. It's like, yeah. it makes me think of my de- depression era grandparents that I have and how they'd always yell at me if my plate wasn't completely clean. And I'd be full. I'm like, I don't have room for that. But to them, that was like, you can't leave anything on the plate. It doesn't matter if you're full. You know, you got to find space because, yeah. So that's our that's hilarious. All that fat on your body for later in case you have to live off of it. Meager times. Um, (laughs) No, I, I like that interpretation, especially knowing that Venus is, you know, in... Venus is basically in a very tight waxing sextile with Jupiter, the ruler of this, you know, eclipse. And Venus and Jupiter together, especially in earth and water signs, you know, this is form. This is the, this is the opportunity for form to take place. Um, and I think that's nice, especially with all that we've been through and some of the The harder points of Libra, because basically what's been happening is since Libra new moon, uh, Libra new moons, and then the Scorpio new moon, um, and then the Sagittarius one is every single new moon has been tapping in to this Jupiter, Pluto, Saturn situation. Um, And Libra was kind of the hardest. Scorpio opens up like a door to it to make it a little bit easier. And then once again, we have that bomb of Venus um, and I say bomb, not like an explosive one, but like a soothing one, <laughs> come in um, and really give a helping hand, I think, in, in some way. Um, and then we get the direct like notion of the sun, moon, and Mercury in a trine to Mars and Aries, uh, which is very stimulating. Very stimulating. Um, and yeah, so... Definitely lots of optimism, right? Yeah. And we might need that considering, um, once again, we were talking about how eclipses can take, you know, like, you know, a a six month period to unfold. So this is once again, a bigger story at play. Um, but what also is happening at the time of the solar eclipse, which is interesting to think of is we have another station happening. Chiron is stationing direct. Um, yeah. So 
Yeah, the wounded healer thus move forward. Um, and in Aries too. So it's adding another Aries component that is kind of strong in the skies with you know self-initiative and uh, taking action or asserting a direction in some way or pioneering into new territory uh, and leaving the, you know, the painful past behind and taking the wisdom forward in order to do so. So I like Chiron emerging at this time too. Feels, feels good to me. I do too. I'm really excited for Chiron to be direct. Yeah. Just in general, I'm just ready for the healing. of. I feel like this whole year for everybody has been such a test of self in terms of who we are in the world. And, you know, for some people it's been around race and identity around race. And for some it's been politics or both, you know, or it's been our perceptions of health and finances or relationships. You know, I feel like watching my father go through what he's going through. It's like his relationship stuff has been so intense that I feel like the pandemic, like he forgets sometimes I think that we're in yeah. all of these conversations, like public crisis, you know, cause he'll be like, I'm going to come visit you and I'm going to do all these things. Then he's like, Oh wait, maybe I can't do all these things, you know, cause he's so like in his version of what this year has been about for him. So I hope that with everything that we've gone through on an individual basis and as a collective Chiron stationing direct in Aries, the sign of the self, it's giving us an opportunity to kind of emerge with an idea of what it is we're healing within the self and why we're healing it. And then what that's supposed to look like moving forward. Um, you know, who are we in the world? And I feel like this year has been a lot of that for me, which is interesting because I'm already like that. I'm already a very introspective. I'm always reviewing myself. I'm always like, am I in alignment? Am I in line with my higher values? Like being sad, rising Pisces moon and ninth house, you know, heavy, like I'm just that way anyways. But having this year, I think it's just made it feel even more detrimental to the future of the collective. And I just, it, it feels very much like this Chiron direct is going to help us maybe get more on that page in our lives. I hope. I hope. Well, (laughs) one can only hope, right? That's all we can do. Um, well, this really brings us to the end of end of Sag season, but it kind of goes out with a bang um, in many ways. Cause you know, at this point we're pushing off of a solar eclipse in Sagittarius. Um, so energy is brewing. Uh, you know, we're feeling the... St- it's almost like... It's so funny how all these new moons are happening at the end of... Or cl- closely to the end of signs. So it's almost like we get the like hit of the energy, you know, to wax off of once it's all said and done. <laughs> almost. Yeah. yeah. Definitely tying something up every time. Yeah. So, so we're pushing off this eclipse... Life's changed. I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. Life, some, something about life has changed by this point. We decided <laughs> none of us might know what it is right now. It could be personal, it could be collective, it can be both. Um, but this is when a couple big shifts take place. So, three things are going to happen before uh, Sagittarius season wraps up two are ingresses, one being Saturn moving into Aquarius on December 16th. And then Jupiter follows suit uh, on December 19th. And so when we have slow-moving planets move signs, that's, that's a, a, a big deal. But to have both of them do it together and really lead up to their conjunction that is going to take place 
right as the solstice, like right as the solstice starts. You know, these are these are lead up days basically where seriously fresh energy is getting situated for like a major conjunction to take. I just want to know what Elon Musk is planning right Ah. now. (laughs) Well, that's a good question. You know, he is, I know. What what is he taking to space this time? Um, Or who is he taking to space? Where is he colonizing? Or, well, it's it's hard to say. These are the Aquarius questions. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and these are episodes in themselves to do talk about Saturn and Aquarius, which I did. I did an episode of Saturn and Aquarius with Wade Caves a little while back when it was in earlier this year. So you might want to go back and listen to that if you haven't heard it. Um, but Jupiter getting there too. Yeah, I'm ready for Jupiter and Aquarius. I'm definitely, I feel like, I mean, A, it's going to be getting out of its fall position of Capricorn, yep. which had some struggles for me, but it also had its blessings too. You know, there's, uh, yeah, financially it was actually kind of okay. It wasn't, a, it's so weird because it's, it's hard to even talk about finances just because I know some people are on the, in the, in the camp where they're really struggling and there's other people that kind of came up through the whole yeah. situation. So it's, it's a rough subject to talk about, but, um, just getting out of that Capricorn energy. So what? So basically, what we're saying is, all that's left at that point, other than obviously the planets are going to go through Capricorn with Capricorn season. But as far as these slow movers, all that's left is Pluto. There's no more of this Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto, like Capricorn cardinal crunch. We're talking about. We're going to the light of Aquarius um, and this forward, future-reaching new possibilities on the table to be stabilized momentum. And so, I mean, how do you feel about Jupiter and Saturn both moving in for a a longer stay here? I'm, well, okay. On a collective level, I'm excited. On a personal level, I'm a little bit nervous just uh, for where it is. I've had Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto kind of doing this in conjunct to my son all year, this Mm -hmm. conjunct to my son. And it sucks. It's not very fun. So there's this part of me that would prefer an opposition at this point. (laughs) I'm like, yes, integration. Let's do something that's more about integration rather than this like tension and needing to be creative and find my power and do all these other weird things. Yeah, Give it to me straight. (laughs) Give it to me straight. So I think there's like, for me, this need to kind of like, yes, let's move this along in a personal way. And on a collective way, I just feel very much like we've watched a lot of, you know, obviously, like, I think that our, the Donald Trump presidency was very much about the old side of America that never really left. I mean, it's not just America either, right? It's like a side of humanity. Yeah. that we've had a huge light shown on that this year, specifically in these last, you know, in the Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto, and Pallas Athena has been here too for a while. And it, that's just been a very big focal point, which I'm really grateful for because we need it as a 
humanity. Like we need to be looking at these things. And so what I'm excited for with Jupiter, Saturn and Aquarius on a cosmic level is thinking that now the change can happen and hoping that because of how traumatic this year was, and because we got so close to fascism in the United States, which is horrifying. Like it's so, I mean, I remember when I went and voted feeling like this could be the last time that I get to do this. Like actually having that thought of feeling like if we don't get somebody else in office, like, are we going to move towards some kind of dictatorship or fascism in the United States? You know, like having those thoughts, I just never thought, you know, as a privileged young person in the nineties and early two thousands, that those are thoughts I'd ever think about in the United States, you know? And so um, I think that with the direction that things are going in, it's not necessarily that things are going to get you know, everything's going to be healed and fixed right away. But it just seems like we as a people are recognizing that we need to be really active in our communities and in our politics. You know, I think we, I think young people this year feel maybe a, a lot more passionate about getting involved. And I know I do. I feel very much more like I don't want to just be complacent. Like I need to be doing something with my life that really makes a difference. So Aquarius is all about that. Aquarius is about the revolution and progress and changing things and evolving into um, a better, hopefully a better world that's more community focused. So I really hope that with, um, since we do have a lot of that Gemini Sag axis happening. Um, and you know, the air energy seems very much like a focal point education, politics, progress, community, um, that we're starting to really see more and more and more people just taking the reins in the community rather than being complacent and vegged out all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the nice thing about these placements is we're moving into a progressive element. Like we're, we're trying to, we're trying our best to innovate what society looks like. Um, and we've had the, at times, unfortunate pleasure <laughs> of seeing what the past has created with all the Capricorn. And that's the beauty of it is like Saturn ruling both Capricorn and Aquarius side by side, you know, these far, Saturn's that far reaching planet, the farthest from, you know, the sun, that, that cold spot. Um, it has this, I don't know, it has this quality that seems like a better placement in Aquarius than like it's like if you were to like ask like what's Saturn because I know with modern rulerships you know some people are going to throw Uranus in as a ruler of of Aquarius, um, but really in traditional sense you know Saturn is a day planet, and even though we think that Saturn's more aligned with Capricorn, but really in traditional thought you know Saturn functions way better in Aquarius because it's a day planet, it's got the support, it's in its own triplicity. You know, like it, yeah. there, there's just a better energy there. Um, and really, you know, the earth, it's thinking about the past and we had to go over the past. We had yeah. to look at these old structures. We had to look at the patriarchal underpinnings that create 
created everything that has been built upon. Um, but the movement of Saturn into Aquarius, we've already got a little bit of taste of it earlier this year. Um, it, I, I think this is going to, it, it's not going to be an easy road. Nothing with Saturn ever is. You know, as they say, is like the what's really important, like the most valuable stuff is the stuff that you have to work for, basically. And I think we're going to be working for it. We're, we're going to be working for this better version of what our, you know, humanity, the collective, our interactions with one another, everything, how this can look. But it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take dedication. It's going to take all these Saturnian things. But I think this coming year with Jupiter there as well, it's going to give us a head start. It's going to, wherever Jupiter is, it wants us to say yes to it, right? Say yes to this. And so we're saying yes to Aquarius. We're saying yes to Aquarius themes. Um, and we're more readily able to go there. And that might have been the challenge when Saturn first moved into Aquarius is like, you know, the yes component of Jupiter was an aversion to it. It's still in Capricorn, you know, it's, it's saying yes to Capricorn. It's not saying yes to Aquarius, but now it's saying yes to Aquarius. And so I think um, Jupiter there as well is really going to help what Saturn can then solidify, you know, over the next two and a half years why it's there, I guess. If that's, hopefully that made sense. Yeah, <laughs> to me. yeah. I like the fact that they're there together for sure. With yeah, this year that we've had, it definitely feels like we're going to experience a lot of growth in a way that we really need as a people. And of course, with the Aquarian age, you know, like talking about those types of ideas, it seems like we're right on time in terms of what they've mm-hmm. predicted all these years when it comes to the big cosmic shift, you know, so... Yeah. Well, and Jupiter and Saturn are meeting in conjunction at zero degrees Aquarius. And this is setting up a 20-year cycle, but it's really pushing us into a whole new 200-year cycle. Uh, And that's a lot to talk about, and there's way more behind this. But just keep that in mind that it's not just this year of coming year of Jupiter moving through Aquarius. It's not even the two and a half years that of Saturn moving through Aquarius. This is a 20 and like a 240 year cycle <laughs> that is now officially underway. So it's, it's much bigger than we may be able to comprehend at this point, but it is the, it is the entrance point. And, you know, as they say, we have to start somewhere. So that being said, that brings us to our last thing that's going to happen in Sagittarius season um, is that we end the last day of Sag with Mercury making its superior Kazemi conjunction to the sun. So it's almost like we get to the last, like right before the solstice at 29 degrees and this, you know, Mercury, the messengers in the heart of the sun with some sort of insight to share from like the last edges of Sagittarius. I feel like it's, I'm waiting for the last season of a really intense TV show (laughs) watching. And I'm just like, what, like the last season of Game of Thrones, you know, or you're just like, what's going to happen to Khaleesi and the dragons and the, the Targaryen. It's interesting actually, like that I brought that up thinking about the, um, what was the, was it the Targaryens? Not the Targaryens. What are the, what's the lion people? I didn't watch of? that show. I'm oh, like, the old- you would love these references. Okay. Well, there's the family, the regal family that has the lion is the crest and they're the ones that, uh, 
they're basically like the asshole colonizers of the castle and then Khaleesi's, you know, the rightful heir to the throne and she has the dragons and she has to go fight them. And they've dominated the uh, kingdom and everybody's oppressed and, you know, it's just very very uh, dark and they're willing to kill all their own people to keep the throne. They don't care about any of them. They're using, you know, and they know that um, the Northerners have a heart. They know that they care about their people. So they're trying to use their own people as a way to manipulate the North so that they'll trap them. And they're like, you know, they're not going to want us to kill everybody. So they kind of bank on the fact that, the other side has the heart and that they're the heartless side. So they'll win because they can trap them. But basically, you know, they, the Northerners have to decide that they have to play dirty in order to get these terrible people out. Like there's just no other way, you know, it's kind of like the craft too. It's like another reference where it's like, she realizes she has to use her power in order to defeat the dark the side. Right? I remember that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like the same idea. And there's just so much controversy in the show about what true good and evil is. But I do feel like the way that us on the more progressive side, the liberal side, see the, you know, Trump refusing to leave his throne and, you know, the White House refusing to admit defeat and also seeming to be okay with, you know, obviously like, there's been so much loss and pro, you know, like he turned our own army against us, you know, this mm. year. And we, we, the people became the enemy, right? Like, cause we're anti-fascists. We became the enemy. So it's kind of an interesting like uh, thing that we're in as a people. It does feel like a game of Thrones kind of episode to me. And this Kazemi, the sun conjunct Mercury. I'm just like, what, What's going to happen at the end of the season, you know, at the end of the show is kind of how I feel. I don't, I don't have any predictions. I just feel like that's the well, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I get that. I think that's a great analogy because really it's just leading us, you know, hours away from the solstice point, which is the pivot point. Mm-hmm. which is also the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, which, is, you know, so just to have like some sort of message from the heart of the sun being disseminated, whether it's in a forward direct message at that, you know, like it's, it's almost like it, it's carried through the motions from the last Kazemi that happened when Mercury was retrograde, um, you know, in, in Scorpio. So there's like, there's something coming to a head of understanding just in general um, in, you know, in, in our world and our stories where we're progressing as people, where we're progressing, um, as individuals and like what's moving forward. And it's, it's maybe that last bit of information or that, like you said, that series ending, um, or maybe not series ending, maybe it's just the season ending that is going to yeah. set us up for what we know is the pivot of the start of the next season. Like literally, like, I yeah. guess we're talking about seasons in both TV yeah. and real life. Um, so I love that analogy. I think it's, it, I think it's right on for sure. Um, but just, yeah, so pay attention the day before December 19th. What are, what are you downloading? It's kind of near the galactic center too. It's only like a degree off. So there is that like kind of universal component of late Sag. Um, and I also think of like, you know, that's also the space of like the 10 of wands, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. And just bring in something pushing something to blindly to completion. 
but at the same time honoring like what's become too much you know as we carry into the the pivot point too so they're just i feel like there's just going to be some sort of like deep higher self understanding that comes yeah. out through through this conjunction if only i knew then what i know now <laughs> yeah yeah but that's not what it's about because we talked about first things first is that sag is about experience so you know fire yeah. Yeah. Baptism by fire. It's like, that's fire. yeah. All right. Well, that's a, it's a, as a wrap on Sag season. So I guess the, um, the only thing I would say is if you had one word of advice, like if you had one word of advice or description or whatever that you would say for Sag this year, what would you say? Uh, I would say try to chill out a little bit because I think that it's, hard to do that when Sagittarius energy is prevalent. There's a lot of decisions that can kind of get made in a very reactive or irrational way when the energy is so heightened. And so, you know, we talked about a lot of these dreamy transits where Mm -hmm. there's like a vision and maybe we're like ready or revved up to do something about it, but it might, we might need to think more, you know, that I wish I knew now would, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. I would say that ride that momentum, but try to separate yourself out enough and chill out enough about it to also hold on to some discernment where you can, because I think it would be really easy to kind of get caught up in the wave of emotion. Um, And there's a lot of confusion, I think, too, in some of these aspects. So we might not see things always for what they are in the moment there's like going to be maybe kind of a, there will be a reflective period, I think, over a lot of what happens in this little window here. Yeah. Because we got to keep in mind, Neptune is square the nodes. So that's like, there, that's a, like a, just a bigger, slower moving thing. <laughs> uh, I play, I play. I like yours too about listening. Yeah. For the, for the uh, Gemini full, full moon lunar eclipse. Um, I would just say with Sag season, maybe um, is like set your course, like prepare or, or prepare your course. It may change a little bit, but and then don't ride the horse like immediately per yeah. se. But use this time for all that you know, kind of bigger planning or dreaming, write things down, compare things, sit with it for a little bit, see how it feels after days pass, you know? And then when you get to the end of it and we have that Sun, Mercury, Kazemi, whatever you're still sitting with at that point, I think it's, I think it might be, might be a solid pullback of the bow then. Um, But maybe not until that point. So that, that would be my, that would be my advice for, for old Sag season here. Love it. Vision boarding. Yes. Time. Yeah. Get your crafts out. Vision board, especially when the sun squares Neptune. Yeah. December 9th. That could be good. uh, If you want to get in there or when Venus and Venus trines Neptune, December 5th. Um, So either one of those days, those could be great vision boarding days. So, all right. Well, we've said so much. Um, 
which is very sad. Okay. So Annalisa, where can people find you? Do you have anything going on? What's the word on you? You can find me at themysticparlor.com or come visit us in person if we're still open by the time that this is airing, because who knows if we're in lockdown again by then. But uh, The Mystic Parlor in Yucca Valley and on Instagram at annalisa.6. Where else can you find me? I think that's it. Yeah. That's good. That's good. And I mean, I'm going to have her information over at energeticprinciples.com too, as I always do. So if you didn't get any of that, or there's more that we didn't say, um, I'm sure I'll be listening to that there too. Um, Or find me on Instagram and Facebook at Energetic Principles. Uh, There's always a way to get there. And I will say once again, that I am going to be doing my 201 course um, for Astrology Basics coming up here at the beginning of 2021. So I'm going to have more information on that um, probably by the time I do my next broadcast. Um, So stay tuned, especially if you were in the class before and you want to go on to 201 or you want to join us at this, at this point, because we're going to be talking about more predictive techniques such as transits to the natal chart and progressions. Um, and so how to look forward as we are moving in Aquarius. It's good to know. And you know, it's good to know what the future holds. Um, so yes. So bookmark that if that's something that you're interested in. Now, if you think people need to hear about Sag season and everything we disseminated here about it and all our interpersonal stories that go along with it because of our Leo placements, <laughs> um, you know, tell a friend, spread the good word, uh, leave a review where you listen to this because it helps us be seen further um, through, you know, uh, the interaction process. So leave a review. Um, and if you do want to support the podcast, you can always make a donation at the tip jar on the front page of my website, energeticprinciples.com. So, all right. Well, Annalisa, always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me for Sad Season. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Yes. And thank you all for tuning in and listening to us for all this time. We do hope you got something out of it and we wish you the best through this eclipse season. You know, it's a pivotal time. We're almost out of 2020. So hang in there uh, and pull back those bows. Um, All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, may the stars be with you. Mm -hmm.